welcome back to part two of our conversation with Ray McKinnon. This is permission to be. Just a few things I wanted to mention before we jump back into our conversation uh, about justice here. Um, we actually recorded this particular conversation back in early November, uh, right before the um, election happened here in the United States. So some of the conversation and content that we're speaking from uh, is within that context, um, even though we found it to be still relevant and applicable. Um, and Ray will be back. He's a friend of the pod. And wanted to also mention another friend of the pod. If you haven't listened to our conversation with Tina Strawn, yet i encourage you to go back and listen to that and also to subscribe to the speaking of racism podcast some exciting news there uh becca and myself um get to serve on the speak of racism board and they are just doing some magical work tina and jen kenny are doing some really amazing work um, along with uh, the board that is able to um, help direct some of the content and instruction that's happening there. And so as we continue in journey and co-conspire together, um, just wanted to mention some other opportunities of who and how you can support uh, the work of becoming anti-racist, of uh, liberating ourselves and, and stepping into a different paradigm shift, uh, one in which we all thrive and prosper. All right, back to the conversation. We love y'all. So are you familiar by chance with Deepa Iyer's framework of like ecosystems for mm -hmm. social change? Deepa Iyer, she talks about, if you want to look it up, friends, it, it, she talks about like creating these ecosystems in which we exist to transform our world and the systems that we live in. And so like you can be a first responder within that. You can be a storyteller. You can be a bridge builder. You can be this person that weaves. And so, and basically the premise is that we all have roles in the, in the fight for justice. Where have you found that your roles in this fight for justice are, are coming to fruition, that you're finding traction, that you're finding your being in. That's, that's beautiful, man. I think I would, would say like connecting faith and like this work with faith. So like, you know, I'll, I'll tell folks like I'm an advocate for equity, not despite my faith, but because of my faith, I'm an advocate for the rights of people experiencing homelessness because of my faith. Uh, not despite my faith, right, in spite of my faith, and the same thing for all the work. And so I think drawing that line between our faith, like what we say we believe about God and what we show we believe by yeah. our actions and say, showing like how incongruent often those mm -hmm. things are. And, and sometimes, especially in the evangelical church, whether it's black or white, there is this disconnect between what we say we believe about God and how we show up in, to use, you know, evangelical vernacular, the, the marketplace, right? Like, and so I think that's been a thing, making, making the connection between, like, this isn't, 
this is the, this is part of the call, right? Of of people of faith, and 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 especially in in my faith tradition, that being Christian, like part of the call is this work. Like we have to be, we have to we have to be people who are causing for justice to roll down, right? Like who are who are causing for the things that are not right to be made right. Who are causing for the crooked places to be come straight, right? Like, I don't know. I, I don't know if that answers your question, but that's uh, what I felt. Yeah. As you're saying that, especially the, the evangelical church, because that's what I knew. I grew up Southern Baptist um, for most of my life. My dad was a campus, college campus minister. I feel like the disconnect was we never learned who we were as far as individuals who God admitted us that we were okay. And to stand in that gap of justice, we are always afraid to do that because we didn't know how to be who we were. Mm. And I know in our conversation with Dr. Shanika Walker Barnes, she talks about or she talked about white people have to believe in who they are so they can for, go forward and make change. So the rest of the system, because they're the dominant culture, can make change as well. When you say that, I just feel that as a church, we have to start teaching people that God created them with the ability to stand in the gap of justice. And I don't feel like that's taught. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's more than the ability to, I think it's the mandate to, right? I, I don't... Yeah, yes, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I, I always find fascinating, like, um, the ability to separate from the gospel this demand for justice, right? Like, it's, it's the thing. Like, it's, you know... It is. Justice is the thing. It's the thing that, you know, in our faith tradition, as we understand it, that that demanded for even Christ to go to the cross, right? This That there had to be this leveling. There had to be this recompense. And that's all that justice is, right? It's like, it's it's leveling things. It's saying um, that this this has to be made right. And, and that's the work. That's our, that's our liturgy, right? That's the work of the people is causing for there to be justice, to ensure that the least among us are regarded and not disregarded and not, you know, pushed to the margins, but brought to the center, right? That's the work. Like, and that's why it's always so interesting when we can separate from our calling these things and say, oh, that's just this. It's like, no, bro, that's the gospel. And that's, you know, that's sometimes that what frustrated me in you know, the denomination that, you know, I was United Methodist. And I still consider myself United Methodist, but, you know, sometimes we we care, we care seem to care more about pleasing and, and placating folks who did not share that understanding of, like, how these things are married, that they, you know, they, you know, they're, people, they're, you know the people say, just preach the gospel and nothing else. I'm like, yeah, let's do that. But the gospel has to include justice or what kind of gospel is it right like good news the gospel the good news to a hungry person is food right your prayer you better that's say it. that yes right? come on now you know what i mean come on like, now. I just don't it, and, and i try my best to like not you know i don't know i'm like how is this so is, how is this so hard I remember a pastor, I, you know, I went to a evangelical, white evangelical 
reformed church growing up, like from 10th grade throughout college. And this pastor said to me one time, I remember we were in this intensive study, and I've always kind of been like the curious one. Uh, he says, uh, be careful, Glory. He's called me Glory. Uh, be careful, Glory, lest you appear more merciful than God himself, he says, than God himself. And that never sat well with me. I'm like, there is no way that any of us can ever be more, quote, merciful than the God mm-hmm. of mercy. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. And, and that, if I'm like, you know, looking back on it now, I'm like, well, it makes sense why I did not fit there. It makes sense because there is a world where some folks believe that God's mercy runs out. If we can appear more merciful than God, I don't remember in what context he said this. I'm like, so you really believe God's mm-hmm. mercy can run out someplace, right? Or that it would be uh, just for there to not be a space of mercy, redemption, forgiveness. And that just, that seems so odd. It seems, and it, I mean, almost specious. Like, it's like, gosh, bro, like, I don't know. So, okay. I, I feel like I can challenge yes. you on this. How would you then say to a person that God's like a, a person that wants to apply that to uh, Donald Trump? What do you mean? Like that God's mercies don't run out. I don't believe they do. <laughs> here's, the un- here's my unpopular thing. All right. You want to hear it? Here's the thing. It's yes. yes. trouble with, uh, with the liberals and the, the woke people. I, I don't believe that God's mercy ever runs out. I don't believe that God is up there saying, Donald Trump, I want to I whatever. Yeah. I, just, I just don't. I don't believe that. You know, and, and when I say that, and I, and I remember like when I used to say things like this when I was pastoring uh, and, you know, my church would give a, a like a resounding pastor. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and so I always have to say to them, you know, don't hear what I'm not saying. Right. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not saying to a person who is being, you know, mistreated and abused to remain with the abuser because God's mercy endures forever. I'm not saying that, right? I don't believe that, you know, God calls us to remain in, in spaces where we're being hurt and abused for the sake of mm, yeah. whatever. Uh, but when I think when it comes to God, I have to believe. In my, the way I understand God, I have to believe that there is redemption and mercy for all people because I believe if there is for one, there is for all. If there is not one for one, there is not one for all. That's how I mm. understand things. I'm not saying it's the right way, but it's it's kind of where I am right now. But I hold so many things in my hand loosely, uh, recognizing that I've been wrong before and I will be wrong again. So I'm I'm willing to I'm willing to be challenged about things and to uh, have a you know take a different look at it. Mm. Yeah. I, I would say that God's mercy was dependent on on upon repentance for sure, like for me. And so like where, you know, of course you won't stay in, of course you don't want to stay in, in, in the abusive marriage or the abusive situation, but there's there's some sort of action. Either the abuse has to stop or you have to leave. And so I'm, you know, while I think that, you know, I, I firmly believe in redemption and, you know, Donald Trump finding his goodness one day, but it's, I can't divorce him. You know, <laughs> I can't divorce the fact that he is a power broker in this society and that within that power, within him holding that power, it is creating injustice towards the groups that is is being wielded against sure. and, and, and so 
while I think I do believe too that the divine or God's mercy is forever is unlimited, you know, I, I think that also I can't, I think I do see clear distinctions when it comes to power. Like God has mercy is, is merciful with those in power. I think about King Nebuchadnezzar eating the, he had to be so humble to eat grass. Right. And I'm not a Bible scholar or, or any of that, but I, I, I think I often see uh, Christians in America use God's mercy as a spiritual bypass. And so, and I guess that's what I get concerned about. I don't, I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying. Right. I'm not saying, so when I talk about God's mercy, I'm talking ultimate, whatever, like that, like, I don't believe mercy equals there being like a pass for the harm that you're doing have done. I don't believe that mercy equals there should be no uh, consequences for the harm that you've done or have done, right? Like I just, don't, so don't hear me saying that. Uh, I guess what I'm saying is, do I believe that redemption or mercy or, and you know, I guess we maybe should have agreed on what we meant by the terms, but do I believe that there is mercy for Donald Trump just as there is mercy for Ray McKinnon? In my understanding of God, yes, unequivocally, yes. Uh, do I believe that uh, there is any equivocation between Donald Trump, Ray McKinnon? No. I mean, because to your point, I mean, I've not, I, I don't have at all the power that, that Donald Trump does. I've never at all um, subjected to um, pain and abuse and separation and death uh, that Donald Trump has. But I guess for me, I, um, I think we should always take care that we are sp- focus more on the things in another person that we would never do, that it it can almost take the spotlight on. I like the idea of me looking into myself and mm-hmm. seeing the areas where I am, where I have the Donald Trump tendencies, right? Because each of us have a potential, like have, a, you know, I'm not saying we be like Donald Trump, but we all have these things like, you know, it's the physician heal thyself. Like I'm, Instead of elevating ourselves above a certain standard, quote, certain air quote, certain standard. Right. You know, I I hear what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, I mean, we could, if if we're not careful, we could find ourselves excusing the areas where we must work because we're not like, well, I'm not as bad as that person. Right. Exactly. Um, You know what I mean? Like, and it's like, but yeah, I mean, but I've got, I've got stuff in my life where I, from my, again, in my faith tradition, where I want to look a little more like the Christ whom I say I I love. And that's what leads me to the spaces of seeing all of my siblings and loving them each because given the opportunity, whenever Jesus was given the opportunity to side with the oppressed or the oppressor, Jesus sided with the oppressed, right? And so I want to find myself with, like, with the oppressed as opposed to the oppressor. I want to, and that's where sometimes the evangelical church gets it wrong, right? Like we, you know, so often, especially white evangelicals, I'll give y'all this one. Uh, this one's, uh, especially white evangelicals, like we, I mean, there is a sense where you guys, where y'all side with the oppressor almost always over the oppressed. And it, it becomes, and not only like it's siding with the oppressor, but then gaslighting the oppressed, right? Yeah. You are oppressed because of what you did. You are oppressed because of what you failed to do. You are oppressed because never looking at, yeah, but the oppressor, bro. You know what I mean? 
it's this whole concept of, well, we've been forgiven. And so now I have the right to judge. Mm. Like it's just, it is what it, that is what it is. And so whiteness too. It's this false sense of self in this false posture of being the oppressor when we think we're being righteous. It's the facade of righteousness. I, I had that growing up Jehovah's Witness, you know, thinking everybody else was, you know, going to get destroyed and I had had the right way. And so even even in your story, Ray, as you talk about your trajectory and your history, like I see myself in in you like I've I've been even as a queer person, I've told other queer people that their life was a sin in another time. Right. I've been that person that has caused pain. And so it's just, I feel like so much of that has just influenced my life now to in a similar vein of like, all right, how can we let justice flow? How can we pursue justice in his mercies? And at the same time, not give white supremacy and toxic patriarchy and masculinity these passes in which to continue to hurt and oppress and subjugate people. And so I just find that you're a beautiful, a public example of what wrestling with that is in person. And I'm always grateful that how you choose to live this out so publicly, especially given all the things that could be going against you. It might be why I keep losing. (laughs) Probably, probably, probably. Today I'm honest. Yeah, like, I mean, but you know, I, I won't even. I won't go there. I, I was going to say something about. Oh, I was going to say something about my boy Bernie, but you know, I feel like Bernie's too honest. <laughs> well, I'm in good company then. Right, right. <laughs> those, uh, Bernie Bros, who wasn't a bro, like I was a Bernie supporter, a Bernie right. delegate even. So that's what Tommy was alluding to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and 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 at the same time, I want to talk. Like, there was some very toxic behaviors coming from Bernie Sanders supporters that that targeted. Yeah, right. And and so it it just goes to say we live in a country where it's not. You know, when we talk about the work of anti racism, when we talk about the anti sexes and and all these things, we talk about proximity. We talk about doing the work. It's all, all these things are needed because you have so many forces and systems coming at you to derail you from the goal. And so I guess in that vein, right, what has sort of been your center? How have you defined and redefined what salvation means and justice means for you over these years and in this process and as we find ourselves in this election cycle? Dude, you're so good at this. Isn't uh, he though? Gosh, um, he's, he doesn't even have any notes. Look at him. Look at, look at God. Oh, he does. He does. <laughs> so, I think my, so I have, I have a tattoo. I have one tattoo. Maybe you've heard the story before if you've heard me preach. But it's Micah, Micah six eight. It has been. I remember, you know, in the nineties, you know, you had to come up with a life first. Yes. And oh this, yes. What's your life first? What's your life first? Uh, and this has been my life first for a while. And it's Micah six eight, and and it speaks to what is the requirement of us as as Christians of what does God require of us and the prophet says like you know you you know what God is calling you to do you know what God has required of you and it's basically three three things to 
uh, to do justice, one version puts it to right wrongs or to right wrongs, um, mm-hmm. to love mercy and to walk with humility uh, before God. And that's my, those are my North stars, right? I try to try to live out those values, like, like justice, mercy, and humility. What does it look like in, like I literally like formulated my whole campaign for around those three things. Like, because it, it applies in every, every scenario, right? Not just in the public space. What does, what does it look like when we are righting wrongs? What does it look like when justice is there? What does it, you know, what does it look for the environment when, you know, we're merciful? How does it look to people caught in the uh, carceral system when there is mercy there? Like, what does it look like? So kind of the thing that grounds me is that call, is that clarion, like call of, 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 of us, of me, like justice, mercy, humility, that's simple. Like it's simple, even somebody like me can, can grasp it, right? Like that, that's it, man. Like that's, that's the tweet. Like we are, we are called to be people who are about righting the wrongs in the, in the way that we do Like, you know, in the way that makes sense for us, in the way that fits our giftings, our callings and how you show up is different than how I show up toward this, this call for justice. But it's something that we're, that we're all called to, right? This is part of the work, um, you know, being merciful is part of the work. And so for me, it looks like, you know, in the policy work is anti-racism and housing justice. Like those are the areas where I'm, where I spend most time. Doesn't mean that I don't dabble other places, doesn't mean I don't support other places, but those are my lanes. Like those are the, the area where I feel most comfortable. And and so it's also the, the area where like the work happens. So any like organizing, like any political work, it's to those ends, any you know type of organizing, it's to those ends. I'm going to try not to make this another 30 minutes, but you mentioned housing justice. <laughs> you, 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 no, no, not at all. Not at all. Because I, like what I'm saying is I could continue talking to you for hours and hours upon hours, but you just mentioned that's housing. I don't want to go to bed. So that's not going to happen. I mean, hey. like, um, I'm just saying literally go to bed. You mentioned housing justice in right now, if people were to go on our social media, they would see this profile picture called Brook Hill Matters. Mm-hmm. And when we talk about so, so many people want to ask the question, what is it that I can do in our locales? And in one area that you mentioned is in particular is housing justice. And we'll try to highlight other areas on the podcast as in, in the future. But specifically, can you sort of give voice, be sort of be a, one, a representative for the people of Brook Hill and that community. And also talk about housing justice and the, its importance in this, this particular moment that we find ourselves in as it relates to Charlotte. And then not just at a local level, but if you have any information nationally or, or, or uh, of what what's going on in that regard. Yeah, thanks. That's a really loaded question well i think um the one thing for folks who don't live in charlotte charlotte is the 15th largest city in the nation just beat out san francisco and most most people don't know that it's a a pretty 
Yeah, that's crazy to me. It's, a, yeah. it's one of the top destinations for millennials, and maybe we can even go as far as the Zoomers now, the Gen Z folks. Uh, more, um, we have over a hundred people per day move to the to the area, and with all of that growth, with all of that, oh, and we're the second kind of largest, we're the second financial hub in the nation. So you've got Wall Street, and then you have uh, New York, and then you have. Charlotte, North Carolina, as far as banking centers. I think we have at least three headquarters here, uh, banking yeah. headquarters in Charlotte. And all of that equals high paying jobs and limited supply of housing for folks who are not raking in the dough. When we talk about, there's a formula that was come up that, that came up that says basically you can't, you shouldn't pay more than 30% of your, the amount of money you bring in a month, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, so mm-hmm. whatever. So if you're bringing in a thousand dollars, you can't pay more than 30% of that on your housing needs. So that's rent, everything all in. Mm-hmm. And so that's called your, um, that's that's about being a housing burden. But uh, then, then there's something called area median income. So in Charlotte, the, the median uh, income for the area is about $70,000 per year. So uh, that's your area median income is $70,000. So when you talk about 30%, people at 30% of the area median income, it's basically people make, Thirty percent of seventy thousand dollars, or people are making basically less than like twenty one thousand dollars per year, and so take twenty one thousand dollars. Thirty thirty percent of twenty one thousand dollars is telling you that a person twenty one thousand dollars can't pay more than essentially five hundred dollars per per month on rent. Now, in Charlotte, you cannot find nothing anywhere. Uh, very few places making that. Uh, so, what does that mean? It means you're going to have more import, more people who become unhoused or whose permanent housing are in hotels and motels, which they will pay likely more, mm-hmm. much more than 30% of the income. They're paying what they could pay for rent in place because sometimes they're paying $300 a week for $200, $300 per week. And sometimes they have to pay daily for their rooms. And so what we can do, one, is to learn about these issues. It's a huge issue in Charlotte. It is a massive issue in Charlotte. Mm-hmm. We have a deficit of about 45, 50,000 units that we that we have 50,000 units fewer than we need at 30 percent to meet the need of folks who yeah. need that. Yeah. Right. That's right. So the 21,000, is that poverty level? Is that the poverty that's level? That's well, okay. Yeah, that's level. That's yeah. But yeah, that's, it's, it's all kind of, it's all connected. But yeah, so that's um, 21,000 is below. So if, and, and, and it's de- it depends on the, the metro area where you live. So in our metro area, 100%. So you have as many people making more than you less. It's at $70,000 for a family. Oh, sorry. And that's for a family of four. So that's $70,000 for a family of four. Uh, I forgot to say that. Who, who Who's providing for anybody on $70,000 for a family of four? Like, <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, well, I mean, that's the thing. And then, you know, you, you know, you've got you can combine incomes and then you're good. But that's the thing, bro. Like most people are not making that. Like most people are making far less than $70,000 for for one, like with one adult working and multiple kids. Right. There is a person. So I'm a, I'm a locally I'm a housing commissioner with our local uh, public housing agency. It used to be called Charlotte Housing Authority. Now it's called Olivia. Uh, but, you know, there are people who cannot, who cannot, who won't qualify to be in our, to live in our spaces if they make more than like $1,400 per month, per month, $1,400 per month, which is $350 per week about. Yeah. 
I mean, in Charlotte, where it is not cheap to live, I mean, it might, you know, for folks who don't live in Charlotte and moving from like California might consider it cheap, but for wages here, that's the other thing. All of these things are connected. You can't talk about housing. I say this all the time. You can't talk about housing without talking about wages. You can't talk about wages and, and, yeah. and employment without talking about public transit. Uh, you can't talk about any of these things without dealing with how we understand wealth and mm. the ability to to make money. All of these systems are connected. And so the first thing I think we need to do is to learn about this stuff. Yeah. And it's not as complicated as probably I've made it just now, because I don't I feel like everybody's probably as clear as mud after that conversation. So when I talk about housing justice, I'm talking specifically about ensuring that we have policies that include affordable yeah. units that have, like we're, we're doing, we're, you know, we're, we're lobbying for um, the end of source of income discrimination. So that says like, Hey, if, if you get a voucher from Enlivian to help supplement your income uh, and you, you, you pass the background check, uh, you pass the credit check, you pass everything and the only reason your landlord is saying no is because you have a voucher. Well, that shouldn't be allowed. Yeah. Right? That should be that's discrimination. We shouldn't allow that. So that's uh, those, that's something we're working toward here is is doing that. But you know, let's not to talk be- about the background check and the credit check being also forms of discrimination oh, too, right? Sure. <laughs> sure. I'm saying to compare apples to apples. If I don't say that, people are going to say, "Well, people have a right." I'm like, "Yeah, but there are people who pass the background checks, pass the credit checks, and the only reason." Uh, that folks don't do is because of, of the vouchers, and that's not right. And then not just the vouchers, right? Uh, they can say we don't want to take your your VA check. They can say we want to take your, you know, your, you know, whatever the the thing is. They don't. They can discriminate because uh, on on account of that. And they sh- that shouldn't shouldn't be allowed. And so we we're trying to, you know, Olivian Habitat for Humanity and other groups are working to uh, get the Charlotte City Council and the. But it's really going to take action from the state. To, to end that. And, and they're all the, it, it, wherever you're listening, I promise you, there are groups who are working to end chronic homelessness. So, you know, uh, and that's uh, folks who are, uh, who are not homeless by choice to end, to end this, to end chronic homes. There are people who are working to ensure that folks can have access to, to safe and decent housing. Get involved there, however that shows up for you, right? Like, it, again, you don't have to be the person with the bullhorn, you can be the person helping to formulate the the email that yeah. uh, you're going to give people as a sample to write the city council mm-hmm. and the mayor. Um, and again, this kind of goes full circle. So when people talk about they're not interested in politics, I'm like, how selfish are you? How privileged are you? You might not be interested in politics, but politics damn well is interested in you. And if you care about people, if you care about justice raining, rolling down, uh, you will care about politics. You don't have to become some policy wonk or anything like that, but you should care about the people making these decisions uh, because they're making decisions in your name with your money. And so shouldn't the values connect with yours um, as closely as possible? So, Well, it's again where the church and the politics aren't separate. They're the same thing. And I feel like there's been this in some churches, this mindset that the church helps in their way and politics helps in a different way. And we have to stop that divide. Yeah. We have to work together for goodness sake. I don't disagree. (laughs) I know. So I think we're approaching a close to this particular conversation. 
but Ray, we need you back. We need you. Yes, 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 yes. yes and yes. we need you back often because. I'll so become it, a friend of the pod. Yes, you need to be a friend of the pod. Oh, we love that. Like, I'm, I'm not it, being it, just saying nice words. If if you've benefited from anything that Ray has said today, especially in re- regards to the politics and and the the local initiatives and the housing, that's just the beginning. Ray is always a, a wealth of information and and connection and knowledge. And so, where can people connect with you and find you and support you, Ray, in your work that you're doing? Yeah. So I'm on all the platforms. So. I am Ray S. McKinnon on Twitter, on Facebook, and on Instagram. Uh, Ray S. McKinnon. Yeah, there's that. If you know, my email address is Ray at repairingthebreachllc.com. Awesome. Ray at repairingthebreachllc.com. So yeah. wait, is this the? Are you connected with? Reverend Bobber's organization? Yeah, you know what? Uh, funny you should ask that question. Oh, okay. No, I'm not. This organization is called Repairers of the Breach. Oh, okay. Long story. Did not really think about that until I'd already paid for the name and all this stuff for, for this company. And a friend of mine, Brandon Rancher, said, bro, that's dope. Are you with Reverend Barber? Exactly like you just said. I was just like, no. He was just like, oh. Same thing happened when I sent it to James. James Ford said the same thing. I was just like, this might be a problem. Um, <laughs> and, you know, all everything was available. So I was like, gosh. So they are repairers of the breach. And it's awesome. I, God, I wish I was affiliated with them. I'm not, except to the degree that I love Reverend Barber. I mean, maybe we can make it happen one day. It's repairing the breach. <laughs> so our, our group, Repairing the Breach, works with churches, nonprofits, whoever, too help repair that which has been broken. So either doing uh, race relations stuff, but also kind of, you know, church relations, doing mediation type stuff, all the things. So that's what we do. All right. And then... I will say this. I mean, in all seriousness, this year, this election has brought so much anxiety to the surface Mm -hmm. for many of us. Um, Maybe when we are listening to this podcast... um, we have found out uh, that either Joe Biden won or Donald Trump lost or Donald Trump won and um, Joe Biden lost. And no matter what happens, there is going to be a lot of angst, a lot of upheaval. And, you know, I believe it is our jobs for me. I can't speak for anyone else. I feel like part of the job, you know, part of my calling as a minister is, you know, I believe God has called us to go where the hurting are, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and to be in those spaces. And so uh, it's going to hurt like hell for me if Donald Trump wins. And not because I'm some partisan hack, but because I feel like I know what that portends for yes. the future of people I love and myself. Yes. But I do know, and I don't, I don't pretend to understand it, and I don't understand it, but I know that there are people who, if Donald Trump loses, they are going to be broken and feel just as disoriented as we will feel if he wins. And I don't know what I'm saying other than for us to find ways to be curious about that and how do we humanize people. And 
to show it's mercy. Complicated because, I, like, how do we do that in a way where it doesn't center them, where it doesn't make them out to be, you know, the thing that's most important, but in a way that just just sees the person in front of us, right? Like, mm-hmm. not agreeing with them, not not giving space to their bigotry, but like giving space to their humanity, allowing that Imago Day in them to connect up with that Imago Day in us. And it's complicated because I don't know how we do that because we, it's just hard to do that because we're these finite people who it's hard to, to make those distinctions because we see all that other stuff. But I guess I would leave us with the reminder that no matter who the person is, we don't have to make excuses for them. We don't have to say what they did or have done or will do is okay. But to remember that the person in front of you is, as I understand faith, and as I understand this, and you might not in your way, but is an image bearer of God as well. They, they, there is something, whether they acknowledge it or we acknowledge it, there is a shared humanity. There is a likeness that if we allow ourselves, we can find or if they allow, but find your peace, guard your peace. Mm-hmm. Know that we we are who we have. We will get through the things. You know, there will be fallout, but we I believe that we can. And I'm not trying to be Pollyannish, but I, I think that we have to yeah. believe that. Yeah. No, we have to move forward. We have to have some hope. Because for justice, there has to be hope. You're in the fight because there's hope for change. There's hope for something better. And and for the anti-racist, the work continues regardless of the outcome. Oh, yeah, that the struggle continues, my brothers. Hey. So much to learn. Ray, we love you. Thank you for being here, brother. And I love y'all. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate y'all. Thanks for the beautiful smiles and for making me uh, feel at ease. So thank y'all. Peace to you. That was our conversation and episode with Sean McKinnon. Make sure you reach out, email him, follow him on social media, learn from my brother. Um, and if you have the opportunity or the chance to meet him and hug him after this pandemic is behind us, I strongly encourage you to do that too. Rayshawn, um Ray is one of my favorite people. And I'm so grateful that I get to do life in the same space and time as this person. As always, make sure you subscribe uh, on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast from so that you stay up to date with whatever it is that we are doing, um, how you can be of support, how you can continue to grow and evolve. Uh, Make sure you check out the show notes if that is something desirable to you as well you can find us at permission to be podcast.com all right may you be well may you find joy may you experience peace may you have permission to be